Welcome to the Live Well, Perform Better podcast. My name is David Duggan and I'm the director of Below the Line, an Irish-based consultancy specialising in helping people, teams and organisations raise their levels of consciousness, inner potential and performance. I am part of a team made up of experts from the worlds of business, elite sport, adventure and health and well-being. We are coaches, mentors and advisors to some of the world's biggest companies and organisations, as well as smaller businesses, entrepreneurs and people looking to make their mark in the world. Our guiding mantra at Below the Line is live well, perform better. What does that mean, you might ask? Good question. Maybe the easiest way to describe it from our perspective is finding the formula that works for you when it comes to things like looking after your physical and mental health, running your business, developing your career, leading your people, or simply being able to show up as brilliantly as possible into your own life, both for yourself and those around you. That's why each week I sit down with a member of our team or an invited guest for a conversation that focuses on the question, what do the words live well, perform better mean to you? This question is a way into exploring with people from a range of different backgrounds, industries and disciplines. What are the practices, techniques, habits or ideas that they use to help them to show up and be at their best in all areas of their lives? Whether that's as CEOs, leaders or managers, or as parents, family members or friends. We keep it short and sweet so that you can extract all the good stuff and get on with the rest of your day and hopefully put some of our knowledge, experience and expertise into play for yourself. This week I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest, Brian Hillary. Brian is a partner in Eisner Amper Ireland, a firm specialising in audit, tax, advisory, risk and regulatory accounting and compliance services. Brian works as the firm's head of coaching, where over the past number of years he has set up and operationalised a coaching practice, both for the firm's clients and its staff. Brian gave me fascinating insights into the benefits that can be derived from creating and embedding a coaching culture across an organisation, as well as speaking passionately about his own story and the formative experiences that got him to where he is today. You can subscribe at www.belowtheline.ie where you can stay up to date with our podcast as well as our exclusive online events and sessions including our Press Pause coaching community. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Before we start this week's episode, I'd like to take a minute to let you know about an event we are hosting on the 13th and 14th of October in the beautiful Brook Lodge Hotel and Spa in McCredden Village in County Wicklow. The Elemental Leadership Experience will be our first in-person event in over two years and we're really excited to be finally getting back into a room with people and hosting what will be a uniquely inspiring and exciting event. As we all know, the past few years have been a mixed experience for us all. For some, It has been about stress management, coping and survival, both personally and professionally. While for others, it has been a time for recovery, reflection and self-care. Either way, we all know and can see that yet again our world is changing. And with it, so must our mindset, our attitude and our energy. Which is why we're offering you the opportunity to recharge your leadership, rediscover your performance edge and re-inspire yourself to successfully meet the moment and challenge of right now. At the Elemental Leadership Experience, you will be a participant in two days of inspiring sessions, workshops and talks, facilitated by the Below the Line team of expert business and performance coaches, all while enjoying wonderful accommodation and hospitality in a beautiful part of the world, with a group of like-minded, success-orientated people. 
Places are limited, so if this sounds like something you want to be a part of, head over to www.belowtheline.ie for full details on how you can reserve your place. Thanks for listening, and now, on with the show. Yeah, Brian, why don't we start with just you telling me why do you do what you do? Okay, so firstly, David, thanks a million for having me on the podcast. I really enjoy listening to it, and you've really interesting guests. So in terms of why I do what I do, and I think in the coaching context, I think first and foremost, I love coaching and I love working with people and I've always enjoyed seeing other people succeed and reach their potential. And maybe in the coaching context, whether it's helping someone develop their leadership or communication skills, or maybe helping someone improve their self-confidence or sense of self-worth, I find this type of work very fulfilling and rewarding on a personal basis. So firstly, it's really my love of coaching. Secondly, coaching has given me an opportunity to personally grow and develop in many ways. And I think it's helped me develop a deeper understanding of who I am. And I've been lucky to work with some amazing coaches who've supported me in my journey over the years. And maybe if I think back to five or six years ago and maybe compare how I felt then to how I feel today, I think I live with a lot more ease and less stress maybe as well so i think i've really benefited on a kind of personal basis from coaching as well so and maybe the other thing i say is i'm very lucky to be able to combine a kind of passion for coaching with my career and i'm very appreciative of that and i think my journey into coaching was maybe somewhat circuitous and um, my background is actually in strategy consulting corporate advisory and transaction services so in addition to being head of coaching at Eisner Amper and an advisory partner, so that's working with companies on business plans, providing due diligence services, and I'm also head of marketing. So I have a really nice mix um, of roles in the firm. And prior to joining Eisner Amper, I worked in strategy consulting for Deloitte in London. So I got great experience there working with lots of different types of businesses and private equity firms. So my own journey into coaching, as I said, has been probably a little bit circuitous. I was always interested in coaching. And even from a young age, I used to read a lot of coaching books. Um, but it was actually about five years ago that I took the plunge and I qualified as a leadership coach. And while it was really hard work on top of my day job, the lectures were on a Wednesday and on Saturdays. I loved every minute of it. And I think that says something in itself. And once I qualified, I coached informally in our firm on, you know, kind of on an informal basis after I qualified. But since 2020 or the beginning of 2020, I've been head of coaching in Eisner Amper. And we set ourselves an ambitious goal at the time, which was to create and embed a world-class coaching culture in our firm. And there was a lot happening in the world at that time. The pandemic was kind of arriving at our shores and that created personal and professional challenges for people. And there was a lot of change. And some of the things that we went about in terms of creating that culture or the coaching culture was there was probably key things key things. One was I've been really lucky. I've had the opportunity to work on a one-to-one -one basis with more than 30 members of our management team. And I've loved that work and it's been a privilege. And that could be working with people on the areas of focus could be leadership, communications, public speaking, self-confidence, work-life balance, delegation skills. So that's the first part is that one-to-one -one leadership coaching. The second part is we've delivered coaching skill sessions across the firm. So that's where we've given everyone the opportunity to 
develop key coaching skills in a safe environment. So what we do is we come together virtually and we give people the opportunity to role play being a coach, a coachee and an observer, and then they rotate the roles. And then the third part of the coaching culture is kind of team coaching. So helping to optimize team performance as well. And I'd like to think that this has led to maybe having a happier, healthier, maybe a more productive team. But certainly I think there's been a ripple of effect of these, of the one-to-one -one coaching, the coaching skills sessions, the team coaching, whereby coaching maybe as a style of managing and communicating is becoming embedded across our firm. So I think we're asking better questions and we're better listeners and not just better listeners to each other, but also listening to our clients. And I've been really lucky over the past 18 months, we've had the opportunity to deliver some of these coaching services and solutions to clients of the firm. And that's been really enjoyable and a very rewarding experience. The two words you, you used at the start there really jumped out at me, this idea of living with more ease and less stress. I think coaching is about trying to bring more ease into people's lives and minimize their stress. Would that be your take on it? Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's interesting that, you know, say something like public speaking often comes up as an area of focus. And I think maybe underpinning, you know, a challenge around public speaking could be maybe it's not that someone could actually be a very good public speaker, but it's how they feel about public speaking. It's maybe the anxiety leading up to it. It's the nerves during it. And then maybe it's the what ifs after it, or I should have done this and I should have done that. And I think, for example, with public speaking is, if I was working with a client in public speaking, we try to understand maybe just from a biological point of view, what's happening in the body. So the amygdala has been fired off, that adrenaline has actually been flowed through, there's cortisol being released. And, and actually maybe understanding this from just the biological point of view helps the client. But also I think what's really helpful there is to actually, for the client to share how they experience maybe the anxiety or the fear of public speaking. So is it sweaty palms? Is it shallow breathing? Or is it racing thoughts? And I think sometimes speaking about these actually helps to lessen the, the kind of tug or the fear around it or the grip it has on us because we're not keeping it inside ourselves or it's not a, we're not hiding it, that we're bringing it out into the open. So I think with public speaking, say, it's actually just talking about it openly and understanding what's behind it as well. And what is it? Is it a fear of failure? a fear of rejection, something like that. I think then once you kind of get to that stage, say in public speaking, this next part would be if I'm working with a client, I often with their permission speak to some of their colleagues and we get really rich and helpful and constructive feedback in those. I have a series of seven questions that I ask the clients or ask, ask their colleagues. And one thing I notice is they often get really incredible feedback. And, you know, it could be, you know, great communicator, a loyal team member, you know, a hard worker. Um, but sometimes I think the client tends to focus on the one or two things that they pick up on that maybe could be a more constructive feedback. So what I often encourage a client to do is actually to keep that feedback, the really positive feedback visible, put it onto a post-it note and keep it on your desk. Okay. And then it might be working with a client on kind of some, if there's some limiting beliefs behind it as well on work, maybe it's worthiness or their own sense of self-worth. And that's kind of, and then once we've done that, then we look at the actual event itself and say it's a public speaking event. And public speaking is very wide. I think it's not just standing in front of a microphone, 
or in front of, on the stage. Public speaking is a client meeting, or it could be an internal meeting with your colleagues. And I think there are some of the things are maybe just visualization to actually kind of just visualize the event in your head before you do it, how you'd like it to go. I think there could be the use of affirmations. So it could be, this is for, instead of saying, this is a dreaded challenge, or this could go horribly wrong. It's actually, no, this is fun. This is exciting. This is an opportunity to learn and grow. And I think those affirmations, if they're just reinforced, they can really help settle someone before an event. Then it could be um, focusing maybe on the process and encouraging people to enjoy the process and not being too hung up on the actual outcome itself. The outcome will look after itself, but we focus on what we can do. And maybe just one or two other things and that is then when we're in the moment and we're a little stressed, there's breathing techniques we can do. So there's the, there's the double inhale and the extended exhale, which if you see a child who's been upset, they often have this double inhale. It's a, <sighs> but that's the body's natural response to try and uh, rid itself of carbon dioxide. And it actually does settle. It's scientifically proven to settle. Then uh, it could be, so that's kind of on the breeding side. Then it could be body language. So I'd encourage clients just to remember just to soften your body. So soften your shoulders, soften your facial muscles. We become very tense. And these are just little, little triggers that could help people relax into the moment. But you mentioned at the start there, self-confidence. But I think if we do these things and we kind of push ourselves a little bit further and we expose ourselves to the things that cause us fear or anxiety, actually doing them, and the more we do them, the less fearful we become. And I'll actually give you an example there. When I moved to London when I was in my 20s, and I actually did have a fear of public speaking. But I kind of promised myself that when I moved to London, that I would say yes to every single public speaking opportunity I had. And that meant that I just, I didn't give myself a choice. And actually within a few months, some of that fear had subsided because I literally, my hand went up every time to speak or to share an idea or whatever it was. And I found that helped lessen my kind of anxiety around public speaking. So it's, it's those things. And I think it's just to be, you know, working with a client, just to be very gentle with the client as well, working through the process. So I think to answer your question, absolutely. I think self-confidence is something that kind of, no matter what the goal is, if it's leadership, communications, interpersonal, achieving that goal often helps develop a sense of self-confidence or improves self-confidence or sense of self-worth as well. Yeah, yeah. And it it also sounds like as well, you know, with what you're trying to do within uh, within the your your business and, and in your role is you're trying to create that culture where people are allowed to reveal and be a little bit more. No, absolutely. I, I t totally agree. And actually, in our firm, we have uh, we come we come together once a month for something called Great Work Friday. And we think we do great work for each other and for our clients, but we don't often talk about it. So the idea behind Great Work Friday is we come together and we share through case studies virtually, the whole firm comes together, some of the great work that we think we've done. And it's a very positive uh, meeting coming together. And But in the lead up to that, that's quite a daunting thing because people who've just joined the firm also speak and introduce themselves. So in that situation, I meet on a one-to-one -one basis with every speaker in the lead up to it. And they run through their, their presentation with me. 
And then I give some feedback and some tips and some ideas and maybe how to improve it. And then just encouragement to really enjoy it. That it is kind of takes a bit of courage to stand up in front of more than a hundred people and talk about yourself and talk about a case study where you've done some great work. Um, but I suppose the benefit is everybody, once they've done it, they really enjoy it. So this is, people get some coaching in public speaking, storytelling, um, case study development and kind of PowerPoint skills. And I think we've had, I think more than 70 people in our firm have spoken at these Great Work Fridays. And it's been, it's something that we're, we'll continue to do, but, you know, I think it's generally people find it a very enjoyable um, and rewarding experience. I, I was wondering if you could, uh, if I could ask you about your family history, because, you know, your, your father, Brian, was a senator and a, and a TD. So I'm just wondering, what did that experience teach you about things like leadership and communication and what you're doing now yeah th thanks david it was certainly different and when i think of you know i i'm lucky i came from an incredibly loving family and my dad had a very interesting career he was actually in politics for 20 years but he was also professor of industrial relations in ucd and the smurf business school and then later in his career, he was a director of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development and went into, he was in, sat on the boards of various companies. Um, so it was, it was definitely very different. And um, I think one of the things maybe I got used to from a young age was the people coming and going from our house. So if it was TDs, ministers, Taoiseach, and it was something that you get used to at a young age and you got used to actually interacting with these people and having conversations with them as well and maybe something else to touch on is you know at a young age you know at the age of 12 i would have been canvassing during a general election and i would have been taking housing estates on my own and that would be going door to door listening to the person i was chatting to and then actually taking kind of, you know, feeding back and actually it might be going home and saying, you know, John, who lives in number 63, has a challenge um, with, you know, some particular issue. And I think that kind of listening to people's listening skills and listening to people's challenges as well. And so, yeah, it was very different, but it was a brilliant experience. I think it brought us closer together as a family and politics isn't without its ups and downs. And, you know, my dad lost a seat on a couple of occasions as well. And I think they're, they can be very challenging times, but also times when you come together as a family and you become very united as a family. And I think I mentioned my dad was in uh, an academic as well. So there was always a, an emphasis on education as we grew up as well. And that was something that my dad was felt very important to us as well. So he was always there uh, on hand and my mom too, to help and support uh, on the educational side of things as well. So, you know, thinking about maybe, you know, the impact of growing up in that environment, I think, you know, I suppose developing good listening skills, empathy, uh, communication skills, and then also taking a stand. And I think my dad, when I think back, he took, you know, some very difficult positions in his career, but he always did what he thought was the right thing to do. And that wasn't just in politics. It was almost also in business as well. And I think that's something that I'd like to think I, I'll take forward into my career and into my life as well. So 
yeah, it was really interesting growing up in a, in a family, but I would say it was a very loving family. It was, you know, we got everything, our parents showered us with love and that was the most important thing. I think if I think of, you know, my dad might've had a very interesting career, but actually first and foremost, all he cared about was family and spending time with family as well. And he always made time to be there for us as well. Our, our strap line, as you know, and below the line is, is live well, perform better. And um, I'm just wondering from your own perspective and based on your own interpretation of that, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I love the strap line and it's certainly had me thinking as well. And I think maybe if I think of like live well and then perform better. And I think for me on the live well side, it's having that balance between looking after ourselves and remembering to enjoy ourselves. So first and foremost, we have to look after ourselves. So that's having healthy habits and routines. And it's being consistent with these. But really importantly, it's not being overly rigid. So I think when we look after ourselves, it's looking after our body. So that we're eating well, sleeping well, exercising well. And then we're looking after our mind. So that might be meditating, it might be journaling, it might be working with a coach. And I think sometimes we have a tendency, or I, you know, I can have a tendency to overdo one area. I love exercise, so I can be very focused on exercise, but that might be at the expense of other areas. So I think the key word there is balance. So then, as I said, it's really important to look after ourselves, but it's equally as important to remember to enjoy ourselves and to live and to be in the moment. And that for me, you know, I think for a lot of people would be spending time with people you love, family, friends, significant others, and spending time doing things we love, like bring us a bit of joy and happiness. And I know that's different things for different people. It could be hiking, hiking, sea swimming, painting, writing. It could be watching a child play a football match. It could be a night out with friends. So, or it could be chilling out and it could be binging on a Netflix series. But I think, so it's important to kind of look after ourselves and then remembering to enjoy ourselves and just having that balance. On the perform better side, I think it's really healthy and it's good to push ourselves a little bit outside our comfort zones and to try new things. And if we're gonna try something new, maybe to really go for it. And you know what, if it doesn't work out, actually not to give ourselves a hard time, that we've given it our best shot. And relate, in, just in relation to kind of giving something our best shot, there's a quote from the actor Matthew McConaughey that I really like, and that's, it's don't half-ass it. And the background to that is when Matthew was going to go to law school, he actually changed his mind and said, you know what, I want, to be a, I want to be an actor. So he's going to go to acting school. And he went to his dad and he said, this is what I want to do. I want to become an actor. And he thought his dad was going to say no. But actually his dad said, is it really what you want to do? And he said, yes. And he said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Don't half-ass it. And he said, look, if you're going to do something, whatever it is, if it's easy or hard, if you give it your all, and if you win, lose, draw, or get what you want or don't get what you want, Whatever the outcome is, if you give it your best shot, at least you're not going to have to wonder, would the outcome have been different if I'd given it my all? I think it's really good advice. And I actually have, you know, a little post-it on my desk and it just says, don't half-ass it. It's just, if you're going to do something, try and do it well. And I'll also link it back to what you said earlier about, you know, the, the greater self-confidence, the, the greater ease, the less stress. It sounds to me like that's also one of the outcomes that you're always trying to push for in your work, um, you know, personally and with others, which is if you can do that, you're going to perform better, regardless of what you, regardless of whatever it, whatever it is you're trying to do. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it's one of these things that it, it's not one thing. It's all the little things that count. And, you know, if I think about maybe some of the things to help me, you know, and I'll touch on this, you know, to help me live with a bit more ease and grace. Um, I've got some kind of habits and routines and they kind of tie into what I said there or a little earlier, which is, you know, it's a balance between looking after myself and remembering to enjoy myself. And so in terms of, and being consistent, but not overly rigid. Right? So, the, so in terms of, if I think of looking after myself, I think of mind and body. So on the body side, I'd say there's three things. It's kind of exercise, it's eating well and sleeping well. And on the exercise side, I love keeping fit. So it's just something, it's, it's kind of easy for me to kind of put on a pair of trainers and go for a run. And I try and do a little bit of exercise, whatever it is, every day. But I actually, I work with Jerry Hussey, who I, I know you know. And I'm in a group called the Dawn Bombers with Jerry. And that group is, it's called the Dawn Bombers because we train very early, several mornings a week. And it's a mix of boxing, yoga, running, swimming. And they're hard sessions, they're tough sessions, but they're great fun and we've plenty of laughs. And it's a brilliant group of people. And the idea is that we train at six or 6.30 in the morning on a Tuesday, Wednesday or Friday. And I find that if it gets my day off to a great start, I'm kind of ready to take on the day afterwards. And there's, an, there's a, a phrase uh, that I like, which is the first hour of the morning is the rudder for the day. And for me, that's really true. I'm not naturally a morning person, but if I do get up, if I get, get some exercise in, maybe a little meditation, it really helps me. So that's on the exercise side. Uh, the days I'm not training with the Dawn Bombers, I tend to maybe just go for a run or a swim or even a walk or something like that, some kind of exercise. It's, it's when I don't do it, I notice it has an impact. And then on the eating well side, I think for me, again, it's not being overly rigid, right? So I'm not strict in my diet, but, and it, but I try not to overdo the bad stuff. It's just, again, having a balance, right? So, and then that's, so that's on the exercise and the eating on the sleeping side. This is something where there's lots of room for improvement on my side. I get up early and I try and go to bed a little bit early, but I tend to end up reading too long or, you know, that kind of thing. So for me, the, one of the goals this year is just to get to bed a little earlier to try and move towards seven hours sleep a night. So there's some of the things kind of in terms of looking after myself, kind of, kind of from the kind of my body perspective, exercise, eating, sleeping. And then in terms of looking after my mind, I think meditating is something I try to do every day. And I mentioned Jerry Hussey there. One of my goals working with Jerry is to live my life with more ease and grace. And I think some of the things I've mentioned this before, you know, in conversations with people, I said like to live with more ease isn't necessarily easy or it's not actually easy. It takes time and effort. And some habits and routines can come easily to some people and others not so much. So meditation doesn't necessarily come easy to me, but I know it really helps me. And with practice, I've come to really enjoy it. And it is part of my routine. And it's not that I meditate every day, but I'd certainly meditate every other day. And if I do that, you know, the impact is I'm more present, a little less reactive, and it might have a ripple effect on the rest of my day. And it helps me to widen that gap between stimulus and response. So that's kind of on the meditation side. And then a couple of other things for looking after my mind, you know, you know, 
I find journaling very helpful. Again, I don't do it every day, but I have a journal beside my bed. And even if it's to just write down three things that went well in my day, I think we have a tendency to kind of focus on the things that mightn't have gone as well and just actually writing them down and kind of refreshing them in our mind that actually there's, and it might be more than three things often it is, but that, I find that could be really helpful. And the third thing in looking after my mind, I find very helpful is I think working with a coach is great. And I mentioned I work with Jerry Hussey and I've worked with brilliant coaches, but I think checking in with a coach or a mentor or someone like that once a month can be really beneficial. So probably said a lot there, but that's kind of looking and kind of looking after myself. And then the second part is remembering to enjoy myself. And for me, that's spending time with people I love. It's spending time doing things I love. So family is really important to me. And it could be the simple things like having a nice family meal. Or it might be going on a family holiday. Um, it could be making time with friends for a bite to eat, having a few drinks and just having a laugh. I think that's so helpful, you know, nurturing friendships and relationships. Uh, it could be also, I like, you know, some time alone. It could be going for a run down the pier and jumping into the 40 foot after. And I find sea swimming for me, it kind of invigorates me and I just, I feel alive after a swim. So it's kind of those things. And as I said, then it's also, it's kind of remembering just to chill a bit. So it's okay to binge on a Netflix series. That's actually really important to just let ourselves rest and maybe do nothing. So I think it's all of these things together can help me live with some more ease in my life. And so it's kind of looking, looking after myself, looking after remembering to enjoy myself. And the key words I have there is kind of consistency, balance, but importantly, not being overly rigid. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it also sounds to me like there's a couple of things that you're doing on a daily basis that really help um, you show up. But I imagine and suspect that, that helps you um, perform better as a coach to other people. A hundred percent. And maybe why I'm kind of I'm very focused, say, even on, you know, the kind of meditating is it it's really important if I'm with someone that you know, I choose to be present with them and nowhere else so that I'm kind of not distracted by noise in the background or something else in my mind. And I think that it's all of these things coming together that enable me to be kind of really present and maybe get, feel a little bit more flow in how I work as well. And that's not to say, you know, there's ups and downs or some days are challenging and some days, some days are not. But it certainly, I think, it's kind of doing, trying to keep a consistency and a little bit of momentum and cadence with these things just has, you know, it kind of, it helps with that sense of ease. And I think it's maybe when we stop doing something, I think that's interesting that we can see it has an impact. So if I have a running injury, you know, I know that I, I shouldn't run, but I can feel that sense of maybe there's a little pent up energy, you know, and it's kind of, I like to, you know, I haven't got a release in the, the normal sense for it. There's also something about, you know, the coach who can put their hand up and say, yes, I, I, I am not without my challenges and my flaws. Again, with, with the people in, in your organization that you're working with, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they can see, you know, Brian's not kind of bullshitting when he talks to me about stuff. He actually lives this stuff. I think that's really important um, from a coaching perspective. Oh, definitely. And I, I think it would be it, something wouldn't ring true, I think, if if I was to kind of, you know, I'm working with someone, but I'm not, it's not that I have to get, 
it's not about getting doing all the things all the time but it's certainly it's it's kind of trying to and aspiring to kind of live a better life maybe and i think one of the things is you know on the coaching side maybe often people can look for support from a coach when they're going through a period of change and i think for me you know that period of change came maybe six or seven years ago when i made a decision to kind of down a different path career-wise and actually said prioritize and invest the time to actually pursue a coaching qualification and it was a big decision for me at the time but maybe I think if someone's going through a period of change or maybe they're feeling a little bit stuck actually one piece of encouragement is do something right what can you do and maybe do it and it doesn't matter if what you do you say well it wasn't actually it didn't have much value or whatever it is I'd, I'd encourage people just to take some action and, and make it achievable and that can lead to a bit of cadence as well turning the lens on Eisner Amper, Amper for a second, it seems and sounds to me like this is actually about you no know, creating a culture where we're kind of checking in on ourselves, our impact, how we're doing, how we're working, et cetera, on a more regular basis. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's we have this idea in, in Eisner Amper of having a kind of happy, healthy and productive team and working environment. And I think the we're coming out of a pandemic, hopefully coming out of a pandemic. And I think people, there's challenges around readjusting to a kind of normality after that. But I also think the pandemic gave people time to reflect and prioritize what's important. They were out of the office, they were at home. And I think people might be looking for, they're looking for more than a job and a salary. They might be looking for a deeper sense of fulfillment and a deeper sense of a sense of purpose. And I think it's a very competitive jobs market at the moment. And I think the challenge and the opportunity for businesses is to create a working environment that maybe helps attract and retain and develop great people. And, you know, I mentioned we'd like to, we have this concept of a happy, healthy and productive team environment. And we'd like to think it's not just a strap line. It's, it's more than that. And I think some of the initiatives and work practices that we've kind of, um, introduced you know so just to, to give a few examples would be we have a hybrid work model like a lot of firms and we're you know we we've asked people to be in the office two days a week and then in work uh from remotely three days a week i think but the office is there as a resource so for those people who want to be in five days a week that's absolutely fine as well and uh, so far that's working very well and um, it's creating the right environment for people so that working from home is kind of works for them as well to supporting them in that regard. We have smart working, so it's offering people flexibility depending on their circumstances. It might suit them to start early and finish early or start late and finish late. We're, we're very keen that people don't work long hours or certainly consistently don't work long hours. And I think that's something that we, we really, we support people a lot in that as well. I mentioned on the coaching side, it's providing one-to-one -one coaching support uh, to individuals and I think if you coach someone in one-to-one -one basis they there's a ripple effect in how they interact with their own teams uh, you mentioned that kind of you know kind of checking in our staff so we've staff uh, touch what we call staff touch point meetings so one of my colleagues in HR periodically rings every member of the firm and it's really just to say how are you and to check in there's no it's really it's just kind of checking in and seeing is there anything that we can do to support our team in a better way some of the other ones kind of we've you know we've summer working hours 
So it means that we finish at four o'clock on a Wednesday, or sorry, on a, on a Friday. But actually during COVID, we had a two hour lunch break on a Wednesday and it was encouraging people, particularly in winter, to actually just stop work. There was no client meetings booked, no internal meetings booked and encourage people to get out and get some exercise and get into fresh air. And another big area for, for us and for, for a lot of our team is sustainability. And we recently hired a sustainability manager, Sarah McGuire, to help us kind of implement our sustainability and our ESG, ESG strategy. So it's lots of little things. I've, I mentioned Great Work Fridays there as well. So again, these are just some of the initiatives we've taken to try and create that environment. And it's not to say we got, we've got it right. We're learning and we're trying to improve all the time. But I think, you know, it does help. These things help create a happier and healthier um, team. Just from your perspective, what are the main performance or, or business challenges that you are seeing being faced by people right now? Yeah, I think there is a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of change. Um, you know, when we think of Russians, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, there's challenges around inflation, cost of living, and there's talk of a slowdown and maybe a potential recession. And I think these things can, together can cause a lot of anxiety. And I think the environment and sustainability is a huge issue also. And I think on top of that, we're coming out of a pandemic. So I think readjusting, or we hope we're coming out of a pandemic, but readjusting back to some form of normality after the pandemic is challenging for everyone. Actually going in and into an office and interacting with people again on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And I also think the pandemic gave people time to reflect and prioritize what's important to them. And I think a lot of people are looking for more than just a job or a salary. Maybe they're looking for a deeper sense of fulfillment, a deeper sense of purpose. And it's for businesses, it's a very competitive jobs market at the moment. And I think there's a challenge and an opportunity for businesses to create a work environment that facilitates them attracting and retaining and developing great people. What's the one piece of advice you would give to anyone looking to live well and perform better? Yeah, great question. And I think um, in terms of answering that question, I think it's uh, the one piece of advice. I might have one piece of advice and then um, maybe a recommendation, a book recommendation. So everyone is different, but I think finding the time to do something you love and brings you happiness, whatever that is. If it's going for a run, meeting a friend for a coffee, playing a game of tennis, reading a child a bedtime story. I think, you know, and it might mean scheduling time or carving out a little time each day or each week to do this. But I think if we do this, the benefits are not that we're just getting a bit more exercise. It's about maybe putting a value on ourselves and a value on our own well-being. And I think if we do that, again, I think there could be a ripple effect on other parts of our lives. So maybe we feel a little better about ourselves. It may be that we're more present in our relationships or maybe a little bit more productive in our jobs. So my one piece of advice is making time to do something you love and brings you joy and happiness. Um, the second part of that is, it's actually not advice from me, but it's just a recommendation for a book that had a big impact on me. And that book, it's a beautiful book called Five Regrets of the Dying. And it might sound very somber, but it's, it's a really poignant book with lots of 
life lessons. And the author, Bronnie Ware, is an Australian nurse and she spent several years working in palliative care and caring for patients in the last weeks and days of their lives. And in conversations with her patients, they often confided in her some of their deepest regrets. And they culminated in Bronnie writing a book. And I think these kind of universal regrets, they formed five lessons that can help us live a fuller and happier lives. And I think they come from people who really had perspective on what's important. And that those regrets are number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And this was the most common regret of all. And I think when people realize that their life maybe is they're ending, they're nearing the end of this part of their journey and they look back, they can see many, or maybe they can see dreams that have been on, gone unfulfilled. And maybe it's having the courage to follow some of our dreams. Regret number two is I wish it hadn't worked so hard. And I think this was, this was very common also. And it was people missing their children's early years or key milestone events because of work. And it might've been for all the right reasons, but I think in the end, they looked back with some regret. And number three is I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. And I think that's something that we're getting much better at. And it's expressing maybe sometimes it's okay to share vulnerabilities with people as well. And number four was I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And I think that emphasizes the importance of friendship and nurturing, nurturing those friendships. And number five is I wish I'd let myself be happier. And for me, this is the best advice of all. And it's, it's for me, it's kind of remembering to have fun and enjoy, enjoy the journey, but it's also remembering to give ourselves permission to have fun and enjoy the journey. And, you know, I printed out these and I actually keep them visible. And it's a reminder to me to live in the present moment. So that's my, my two pieces of uh one piece of advice and a book recommendation as well brilliant well look brian um i want to say thanks very very much for sharing all of that um and all your insights and um it sounds remarkable what you're doing in eisenhower as well you know and you say yourself you haven't got it all figured out and i think that's always the best starting point you know all you can do is try these things and and um you know it also sounds to me like you're you're, you're just you're carving out a really interesting space for yourself you know so um thanks a million for being a guest and thanks for being so generous with them um, with your with your insight and your knowledge and i wish you every success and best of luck david thanks so much for having me on the podcast as well really enjoyed the chatting to you today and uh, best of luck going forward to you as well. Thank you so much for listening to this week's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard and you want to stay in touch with us, then please head over to www.belowtheline.ie to subscribe to our mailing list and to explore our upcoming programs and events, including our elemental leadership experience coming up on the 13th and 14th of October. Until then, take care and see you next time.